Welcome to another episode of Research to Practice What Do. I'm Emily. And I'm Andrew. We're your hosts guiding you on your journey in bridging the gap between research and practice. We are here to help all this make sense by sharing ours and others' perspectives on the current research and the intricacies of clinical practice. So today we have Dahlia and Ethan. They are fourth-year students doing exercise physiology at UNSW. We are keen to have them on the podcast today to talk about their experiences and perspectives as students. So first, let's hear a little bit about you guys. Dahlia, I volunteer you as trivia. You can go first. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, a little bit about me. I'm currently, well, I'm in my final year of ex-phys. I'm currently working as a personal trainer and I'm in the early days of trying to empower people to just show up and like invest in themselves because I'm really passionate that it feels really good when you can do that for yourself. About me a little bit more. I love lifting weights. I love yoga. I love good coffee and wine with my friends and family um yeah that's me awesome Ethan thanks for having us as well guys I'm also fourth year doing exercise physiology nearly finished which I'm, I'm thankfully excited to do I enjoy doing coach like coaching and athletic development kind of stuff I've had a bit of an interest in that for a while since I have a sports playing background playing rugby and cricket I have been really enjoying chronic pain research and the stuff I've learned at uni so that's been a bit of an interest of mine recently and I also really have enjoyed working with kids Aside from studying, I have a variety of hobbies. I like spending time with my family. I spend a lot of time being involved in my church. Um, I like watching sport, of any pretty much any sport, exercising myself. I have a gym in my garage, which I spend a lot of time. I spend a lot of time exercising in that gym, but also a lot of time like making additions to it. And, you know, um, so I've built a lot of that. So that's been fun. And I also like like woodworking and I also have been, uh, enjoy gardening and I actually worked as a gardener all the way through uni. So, yeah. Wow, you both of you have come from very like exercise-based backgrounds, and I was not expecting the gardening. Um, Ethan, you mentioned chronic pain research. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you mean? Uh, yeah, so pretty much like in fourth, oh sorry, last year and third year, we had a subject um, musculoskeletal rehab, and I, uh, I think it had been redone. I'm not sure if it was our year, the first year to do it, or the year before. But I was kind of expecting them just to tell us like, oh, this this is the condition like, you know, shoulder pain and these are the specific tests you do to the shoulder and the specific exercises that you do. You know, like just that's been my experience, like going to the physio, having rehab from a bunch of injuries and just learning that like, you know, pain in your body doesn't, isn't, there's not a one-to-one relationship between pain you're experiencing and tissue damage and the thought thinking that, you know, there must be something structurally wrong, you know, with my muscles or with the ligaments or you know we've got to do scans and find out what's wrong often you know there's not really a known cause of it and that can actually be pretty unhelpful because people really obsess over like all the specifics of it but really just getting moving in that is probably will be more even more effective so yeah that's really like one thing i didn't expect something to just completely shift my mindset coming to uni like i expect to learn stuff but not think oh that's really surprising but that was quite surprising and really changed the way i thought about it even my own injuries and stuff, but also the way I want to kind of treat other other clients in the future. Yeah, it's a really interesting description you have of that course because I think a lot of people, especially clinicians outside of uni now, did not experience anything like that. Everything you mentioned was kind of trial and error and learning outside of the uni context, so that's awesome. And Dahlia, did you learn anything from that course? Yeah, um, that course also for me like gave me so so much nuance and perspective on the kind of work that I want to go into and just also the challenges that I'm going to face in the industry because I can't well I won't be able to always give someone an answer because people's relationship with and their with their body and with pain is like so complex and multifaceted so definitely learned a lot from Mitch and Matt who taught that course here's a question for you guys Ethan, you kind of already answered it, but did you did you come out kind of being like, what the hell is going on? What do I even do with this information? And like, have you tried to implement any of it at your placements or anything like that yet? Uh, yeah, there was something I was actually thinking about um, coming into this. And yeah, it was kind of like, initially I was thinking like, well, what do we even 
what are we even doing as exercise physiologists? Like if we can just give, just tell people to exercise and it doesn't really matter how they do it or, you know, as long as they're doing it, like why do we need a four-year degree to go and tell people that? But then also uh, realizing that a lot of it, the more important part of it is actually engaging with people and explaining that uh, in a helpful way and helping to make sense and kind of validate their experience whilst also trying to give them some information around pain that has been is shown by research to be one of the best things to actually improve people's um, pain and function. Something that I found interesting, like I often, like I'll ask my supervisors, oh, do you know, do you, how do you go about pain education or do you, you know, do pain education? And they'll always be like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But then I was just thinking the other day, like I don't, I haven't ever, I haven't yet been in a session where they've actually done any pain education. And there's often a, you know, a lot of focus on like technique within an exercise and activating this muscle, that muscle, that, this kind, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah. And, and I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like, I was really pa- like passionate about it when I just learned it from the course last year. Um, and I knew I could articulate it well. Um, but it was, it's kind of what we got to assess on just explaining pain to people that then, you know, coming into the clinic a year later and trying to put that into practice, particularly when there's like someone else over your shoulder that might not necessarily think that is important or might be maybe an unhelpful message. Yeah, it's been a bit of a challenge. Yeah, yeah. So I, I had a bit of success doing the lifestyle clinic because we were more or less like unsupervised, sort of. Um, but then at other placements, I haven't done that as much. Yeah. And just for our listeners, sorry, Dahlia, before you go ahead, to explain the lifestyle clinic, that's UNSW's on-campus clinic that every single one of us as students go to. And it's kind of our, I guess, starting point. And we just get to learn about everything while we're there. So, but Dahlia, please go ahead. Tell me your thoughts on it all. Yeah, I think for me, I also, in my placements, I haven't had so much direct experience with it I think that course at the time when I was learning the information the first few weeks it made me question so many things that I and so many of my own thoughts and beliefs that I had about the body and like therapy and exercise therapy but then I think the way that it was taught and I think I really try to bring an open-mindedness to the classes by like week five I was like come on like tell me more it was just like really exciting and like hopeful because it meant that I didn't always like as I was saying before I didn't have to actually have a solution rather than that being like a scary thing or a negative thing that was actually quite exciting and then I suppose it aligns with the way that I practice of just empowering the person to move and giving them tools that they can do to help them move and feel as comfortable as possible. And so I try and implement that into my personal training that I have at the moment. I have a few clients who have injuries and I just try and educate them a little bit more, but it is really hard to like articulate myself in a way that I'm happy with. Sometimes I do it and I'm like, okay, I'm happy with how I worded that. And then other times it's much more challenging and I question if I because I think it's so individual, like how you talk about pain and how someone's experience with pain is so different for everyone. So the script, there's no script that is perfect. So I think learning and practicing how to have those conversations is definitely something that I'm still navigating. Yeah, hopefully I've got two musculoskeletal kind of rehab placements coming up. And so hopefully I'll learn more there. Yeah, that's awesome to hear all of that. And I know that in the course specifically, you guys may have, I know me and Em did, go over some metaphors to help explain pain. And that's not actually explain pain, the technique itself from Lorimer Mosley. But for instance, you know, like an angry lion being in the room and you've got to calm the lion down type of thing, or Twin Peaks is one that you might have heard of, things like that. But you mentioned language there, and it's really interesting because it's like, pivotal paper that me and M probably first discovered qualitative analysis through was Darlow's paper that literally was titled something along the lines of like words matter. Um, M, do you remember the name of that? Yes, I can't remember no. either. 
but I'll pull it up later. Anyway, um, and it's interesting because there is no script, right? And it's you kind of think, well, like my words have an effect on what you're going to think of your pain and I've got to say the right thing and I'm worried about this and that and what is the script? What should I use? And there's uncertainty and there's so many things to think of, but you can feel kind of empowered, like you were saying, Dahlia, and the fact that there's so many ways to go about it and it's about the person in front of you and how they take it on and just checking in with them and things like that, you know? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you mentioned placements though. Where exactly? Yeah, M. go ahead. So the paper is the enduring impact of what clinicians say to people with low back pain. There you go. Yep. There you go. That's the one. Great paper to read if you guys want to get into that stuff. Um, yeah, you mentioned placements, Dahlia. So tell us a little bit about your placement experiences and what you've experienced like between, for, we're talking about MSK right now, but have you experienced other things like neuromuscular things? Yeah, so I'm, in terms of my placements, I'm actually not doing placement right now. I am doing it in T3. So, but in my term one or my trimester one, I was at the, the lifestyle clinic, which I think I, I think I'm the only person, but I found it really, really enjoyable and help, and I learned a lot there. And I was also doing an online placement, which was a bit different, but it was for children cancer survivors and creating exercise content for them to use at home. So that was very different and non-client facing. I learned a lot from both places. I think that I'm really excited for my term three placements um, to just kind of be immersed in it a little bit more. I don't know. I feel like, yeah, as a, as a broad, that's, yeah, that's where I was. Uh, yeah. So for me, I have, I did placements last term. I was at a lifestyle clinic as well, which I, I didn't mind. I thought it was, it was good. It was, um, yeah, it was, it was like, we had a, we didn't, I felt like we didn't have a lot of autonomy over the programming and, and the exercise choice for our clients. Because what happens is our client might come in, they see a fully accredited exercise physiologist, have like an initial assessment, and then they get given a program. And then as students will kind of run them through that program, which is really great. I enjoyed like building relationships with clients that did really have the chance to kind of speak to them about their conditions, about pain. Um, and see a lot of progress, but we didn't get the chance to develop skills of like um, assessment and kind of initial consults, which I would have liked to do a bit more of. The other one that I was at last term was at a children's hospital and it was working with kids who had um, concussion. Um, and that was, that was really interesting. Like I didn't really know that was even an area, like we hadn't, we had never really had a, you know, an lecture on that or, or a subject around, around that. But I found that really interesting. They kind of, a lot of the kids that were there, were having kind of ongoing complications from concussion. It was like dizziness, headaches, nausea. And so we'd get them in and we'd do a range of assessments on them, kind of see how they were going compared to uh, last time um, with kind of some of their cognitive function and, uh, you know, visual reflexes and balance and also do exercise tests um, on them and see, you know, is there, are they able to tolerate really intense exercise without having an exacerbation of symptoms or are they, you know, when they get to, you know, like a, seven out of 10 effort running on the treadmill do they start getting you know a really bad headache so yeah it was really fun and i, I really love working the challenge of working with kids and parents and you've got to kind of every kid and parent is just such a different combo um you know you might get both parents in there you might get a, a parent that just wants to sit out in the waiting room and say you know the kid they go in and, and they you know it's the kids thing or, the, or you might just get a parent that does all this talking and the kid says absolutely nothing um, so yeah, that's a really a real challenge um, with with communication and just you know getting messages across to to people. Uh, so I enjoyed that. This term, I've been at a private practice, um, so it's a pretty varied caseload. A lot of kind of musculoskeletal stuff, a uh, few stroke patients, um, yeah, metabolic conditions, just cancer, so many different things. Um, yeah, I found that pretty interesting. Like that's the first kind of more like. For, I guess for profit business that I place that I've been a part of, so it's a bit bit different in like like they're really keen about helping people, um, and they I've seen like a lot of the clients progress a lot, uh, but at the same time you, you know you've got to acknowledge that as a private practice like you have to actually make money to be able to function as a business, and so that means that you know you there's kind of a bit of a trade off there you know with kind of accessibility for people like there's some people that just aren't going to be able to afford that service or they might not you know 
yeah, just be willing to put that much value on an hour session of exercise that they you know, would pay that amount of money. So that's been something I've kind of been thinking about. But yeah, all of them have been really valuable experiences and I've learned a lot so far. That all sounds really interesting, Ethan. I just wanted to add something back about the lifestyle clinic and my experience there. I think a lot of the positives that I got from that placement were about the relationship that I built with my supervisor and getting feedback from them. I think because they are part of the university, they were very aware of giving constructive feedback and regularly. And so when I asked for that, that was quite readily given to me. And I, there was time to have conversations with the supervisors to help me be a better student. So yeah, that was, I think, one of my pros from there. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Having that feedback and being able to go and ask your supervisors and actually feeling like they can give you that support. I know that at a couple of my placements, I didn't feel like I could go to my supervisor. Um, At times, I actually felt like I was questioning them on why they were doing core stability things for people with back pain. And so, yeah, the fact that you have that experience is awesome. And Ethan as well, it sounds like you've learnt a lot from many different places and lots of different skills as well. Like working with kids and kids and parents is a it's a very different and tough job. So I was oh, Andrew? Um, I just wanted to go over a little bit of like because Dahlia, you sound like you really um took the chance to be really autonomous in your learning and you had to go up and ask your supervisor for feedback, for instance. And I know that's one thing that uh, myself and M definitely took the chance to do during placements. And I saw some students not do that and then get angry at the, the fact that they didn't have the opportunity to learn, for instance, without taking control of their learning. There's actually one place that me and M both went to and they allow us to be very autonomous. Um, they actually basically let us run the whole day worth of the clinic stuff. And I loved that. I had such a good time. But M didn't actually, which is interesting, right? She said that she wanted more feedback, right? She liked the placement as a whole, but she wanted more feedback. And to get that, she had to go ask for it, and then she got what she needed. So I think that's a really interesting point for um, students. You've got to be proactive in your learning when on placements. You cannot be spoon-fed at all. So I really like that you went and asked for that feedback. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, of my whole uni experience, I mean, coming onto this podcast, it was a good kind of time for me to reflect on like my whole uni life. I think that the reason that I have enjoyed uni and the enjoyed the uni experience has been partly because I've just like asked for help more, maybe. So like I've gone out of my way to email the the lecturer or the tutorial leader or whoever. And I think it's had returns, which have motivated me more helped me create better connections with like the people around me but totally totally yeah that's that's really awesome and super valuable to have is just your own values that you want to grow and you want to learn more it really does put you I don't want to say ahead but yeah just I will say ahead (laughs) puts you ahead of other people that are um, especially in uni it's easy to just kind of you know, P's get degrees, whatever, I'll learn everything when I'm out in clinical practice. And I would not recommend that. (laughs) I'd recommend exactly what you're doing and like really get all that information from the people that are already there in front of you and that are there for free as well. Because you have to pay for mentors outside, which it's absolutely fine doing. But yeah, as they're there, definitely use them. Um, I feel like this kind of segues into... um, I wanted to ask what you guys felt most prepared for or feel most prepared for and unprepared for for clinical practice. Ethan, you can start. Uh, yeah, I think, I, I, yeah, I, to an extent I feel pretty prepared. Like I feel like I have a decent knowledge base from all the subjects we've done, Had have had some experience with clients. I think the, the nature of being at a, a placement when you have a supervisor there a lot of the time is that you know even if you're running a session it's often a session that they might have already they've planned themselves um and you know you're also you're only there for a snippet in time it might only be a few weeks you might only see a client 
Uh, you know, one of my placements is a hospital and maybe only I might have seen some people twice across the whole 10 weeks that I was there. Uh, with this uh, this uh, private practice one, I have seen people more regularly, which is nice to see people make progress, but it's not really your plan. Like you haven't had been able to see them through from the first meeting them, that initial assessment, getting to know, you know, them, getting to know their concerns and conditions and their interests and their likes and then tailoring, you know, an exercise plan for them. You might have had a chance to do each of those things individually for different people at different times, but doing that, the whole thing uh, and kind of piecing that together, yeah, it's something I don't feel like, yeah, I think it'll come, but I think I would have liked to have the chance to have done that a bit more uh, often. But, yeah, I think that's just kind of the nature of placement. A lot, you know, a lot of, you know, they, they, they want to, people want to give the placement people a, a chance to do stuff, but they also, it's their client and they don't really just want to hand everything over in a lot of cases. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think there's something really valuable in what you're saying that you are getting those skills of the initial and then the assessment and then seeing someone in the middle, like, that's great but it is also different when it's one person. So when you're doing that initial and then a few weeks later you're at a different stage of treatment with the same person, what does that look like? What decisions do you have to make now? What's your relationship like? You know, what's the plan from here? So it's definitely different and, yeah, hard to facilitate in the placement environment. Yeah, can see how that's valuable though. I think for me things that I feel prepared about going into clinical practice is my people skills. I think through my own experiences, practicing it quite clinically and mock, like in mock environments at uni and just my personality and my life experience have helped me to develop my people skills, which I think will be helpful. And I feel prepared for that aspect of clinical practice, communicating with people, asking them hard questions and like trying to understand them better. One thing I was thinking that I'm that I don't feel prepared for, and that's something that I think that we don't really learn so much in uni, is the business side, like how to run a business. So if I want to go and open my own practice, or even if I want to just, yeah, like how do I do the admin side of it? Because there's a lot of it. And I think we don't kind of touch on that at all. So that is something that I feel whether it's now or like later on in my career, I'm gonna I'm gonna need to reach out and get some mentors for that. I want to actually ask you a question on that little segue. If you could take out a subject in place of a little business subject on like maybe like how to create a business type thing for a personal trainer EP type style, what would you take out in place for that? I don't know if I can answer that question. <laughs> Yep, I, I get it, and I have an answer, and I'll okay. tell you my answer. Yeah, you answer. We, look, I love what we learned, and I'm going to be brutally honest here with the uni. We rehash the same information over our exercise physiology um, subjects multiple times, and I feel like that, that rehashing could have just been an extra subject of whatever it is that we can we wanted to do. I know we had our general education subjects, and there is that option to go do the business side of things in the business schools. But I feel like there could just be something different. And I know they are changing things now and me and them have graduated. So I'm talking about the old system, but I personally feel like our HESC subjects, which is all the exercise physiology subjects could have been condensed a little bit better. And then, yeah, we could have had that opportunity. Yeah, Ethan. Yeah, I was going to say something similar. I, I, I don't think... Uh, you know, I think there's multiple subjects that probably could be taken out of the degree because we just get assessed on the same thing again and again. And a lot of it is around like rote learning, stuff like a, a protocol to do a, you know, aerobic assessment for someone or a strength assessment. And these things, like they're good things to know, but having to rote learn five different aerobic protocols and then be able to record off the top of your head and deliver it in an assessment setting isn't really that relevant for clinical practice like you're going to go work somewhere and they always like to use this protocol and you do it a few times and then you get the hang of it and you always do that protocol and it's no worries and it's really easy and so yeah there's a lot of that kind of stuff but i understand they need to go over it but they can go they often go over it again and again um and the other thing is like communication skills which i, I can kind of understand why they want to 
rehash those things because it's the kind of thing that can be actually quite very difficult to uh, improve because a lot of the communication skills, you know, they, it comes from your background, your personality, um, and so it can take a lot of work um, to improve those those skills of, you know, active listening and e- empathy and um, kind of reiterating thoughts and feelings to clients. Uh, but, you know, I guess for me personally, I felt like you know, I, I just got a bit sick of it. Like I felt like I had kind of gotten the hang of it and we were doing it again and again and again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. When I my experience of having to do things multiple times, I'm like, this is just great. I can just, you know, don't have to study so hard. I can do kind of well. Like, it's all right. It's actually really interesting that we're talking about this because, Dahlia, when you mentioned the business side, I was like, oh, that's how I felt coming out of high school and being like, why didn't we learn about taxes? Why didn't we learn about how to meal prep? Like all these just like adulty things, like where to buy the best pan that's going to be long lasting it's the right pan for your food. Like just things that when you get out of high school and you're like, oh, what? Why did I learn algebra for four years, five years? So I guess with this sort of thing, it's similar with uni. What I'm saying is why didn't we learn about business? Why didn't we learn about KPIs and rebooking and what to do? Um, like, yes, we learned motivational interviewing techniques, but we didn't learn how to really do that with an actual client and then see that go wrong and see those questions be answered in a different way. Um, what are some other things, Andrew, that are just classic things that happen in the, oh, how to talk with bosses? Like you oh, yeah. kind Colleagues. of navigate that a little bit, yeah, with placement. But placement, you just step back and you're like, okay, cool, I'm here for 10 weeks, whatever. At your work, you know, how do I talk to colleagues who are saying different things? How do I talk to my boss about needing more money? <laughs> so many, so many little things. And I'm like, ah, oh, would love that. And because no one asked, but I will, I will answer the question. What I would take out would be physiology. <laughs> um, just do one physiology subject. We don't need two. Um, biochem, probably take that out. Just some of the like really nitty gritty ones that I'm like, did, did I need that? Anyway. That's my opinion. I love biochem. Oh, that's just me. <laughs> no, same here, Ethan. <laughs> and are you communicating biochem to all your patients? I don't know. I think I'm trying to. I mean, it helped me. It helped me understand why I was going to be telling someone this. And even though, you know, I guess, guess for me, like, I want to feel like I'm being honest and there's some, some sort of integrity in what I'm doing and, you know, I, I want to be, yeah, I want to feel sure that what I'm saying is actually grounded in evidence um, and an understanding of the human body. Even if I don't actually say all the details of, you know, oxidative phosphorylation or whatever to them, um, at least I kind of understand that system. And understanding that at a more nitty-gritty level helped me to understand actually oh, why exercise will actually improve that system. Um, but, yeah, I, I found it interesting. But, yeah, it was, it was a bit dense for sure. Yeah. All right. We'll keep it in just for you then. <laughs> um, Dahlia. I have something to add just along the lines of how I felt like the course went because we did quite in the first two years, it was quite general kind of broad subjects. And then it kind of specialized into more exercise physiology, exercise prescription based subjects towards the end. And one thing that I was reflecting on about the cohort and just about my experiences, I think there's a lot of people who choose to do exercise physiology, but they don't really know what it is. And so don't kind of really know, at least I didn't know, till started doing placement, even my third year placements, I was still unsure what my career was going to look like. So I think that's something that they could kind of add in maybe a little bit earlier on in the course would be prax or just more actual exercise physiology subjects earlier on. I think just because I think some people use it as a pathway to do physio or medicine or it's like another general science degree and then they can go on and they can do a master's in something else. But I think it's kind of a waste of time if you're going to use it for that, maybe not for physio but for other things. I think there's probably easier ways 
that you could get to other places that aren't exercise physiology without having done the whole degree. So I think that exposing us as students to what the career is actually going to look like earlier on, whether it's through placement or through just more targeted subjects, is probably quite helpful. I'm just, can I, I'm just going to propose something. And I, I've thought about this just because of how much I've learned doing prac um, over a short period of time, you know, 10 weeks, 15 weeks, uh, and then how much I've learned during the whole rest of the degree. I think... I think maybe we could universities. I know that you know that often they want to make money, so that's often driving the, the way they structure courses. But I, I think like the model that trades um, offer is quite a decent one. Like it, for job for kind of uh, job ready profession skills, like exercise physiology is or teaching. Like just being being in the clinic from the start, a few days a week, uh, you know. And, and then coming to uni for a day or two to kind of supplement that with a bit more scientific knowledge and research skills and that kind of thing. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like I would have picked stuff up a lot quicker and got the chance to actually work on the kind of the communication skills with actual clients and understand how businesses run and that kind of thing. I don't know. What are your guys' thoughts on, on that idea? That's actually an insane thought that I've had as well over the years. And it's interesting because... There's an element of safety involved in clinical practice, right? And I know that when you're an apprentice, for instance, you know, like if you're a hairdresser, you're sweeping the floors for the first year, you're not actually cutting hair yet. And the same kind of thing could be done for us, you know? Maybe you're doing invoices, maybe you're learning that admin side. There you go, Dahlia, right? Something like that. I think the more that I learn about things, and like you mentioned, it's money, money-wise, that's important for the university, Ethan. There's a little bit of university politics that comes into and also time that really comes into implementing all these things who knows in 10 years maybe we'll have that kind of thing because it's an applied science everything we learn is to be good at the job right so then it's interesting that we're even having the conversations of why do we do that i'm not using that in my job you know what i mean so yeah interesting thought but i think there's there's probably some things we can't take into account because we don't know the behind the scenes right now. But I like your thinking. Definitely. I, I do like that thinking. And I think it goes into just like having more experience and more exposure to it. There's other allied health that do placement from first year, like occupational therapy. I think some nursing courses, you do that early days. And so you can kind of figure out if this is kind of where you want to be going and what you want to be doing. Um, do you have any thoughts? Because I've got one more thought that'll lead us onto research otherwise. Okay, because thinking about preparedness as well, we did one statistics course in first year and now me and Emma are going into research and I've got no idea how to use our studio. I haven't used that for three years. I, I don't know how to code anything and do all those statistical tests and things. And that's why I love that we're doing qualitative analysis right now because I don't have to go through all that. But I know that next year when I keep going with things that I'm going to have to relearn all that. So there's that other avenue of, well, if it's a, it is a um, clinical applied science degree, but it's like, it also leaves the door open for further, um, uh, what is it called? Education, further education when like, so I think they also think about that for people going on as well. So there's a lot to take into account when building a course. Yeah, I, I kind of, I definitely agree with that. It's like if you're weird like me and you like biochemistry and you have a real interest for that, like even though it might not be that related to the course, I found something like, oh, that's really interesting. Might not be that that related to exercise physiology, but as we we're kind of saying, like we didn't really know at the start what we're going to go into doing, what what the work might even look like at the end, and you know, the fact that people end up taking different avenues out of it you know, it might be part of the fact that it is a bit of a varied very degree and you kind of do cover a lot of subjects. But at the same time, there is a bit of a redundancy in, in, in some of the subjects when you feel like you're learning the same thing again and again. Yeah, definitely. Dahlia, you got any thoughts on that? I think I'm good. <laughs> okay. Because otherwise, I would, I'd like to ask you guys about the learning curve going into your research internships these last couple terms, I think. Have you guys, are you guys just starting at this term or are you in your second term of your internships? We are on towards the end of our first term of it and we'll keep going into next term. 
Right, so you guys are in the protocol writing stages and writing up, so, yeah, civil yeah. smile from you, Ethan. <laughs> okay, cool. And so how's that been? Can you guys explain, I guess, your projects to us? Let's go, Ethan, you go first. Okay. Um, yeah, so um, my project is looking at uh, perception of injury risk uh, within sporting athletes. So we're just giving a survey to pretty much anyone that plays organized sport um, and asking him a series of questions around you know, how likely on a scale of one to ten do you think you're going to get injured playing your sport and then how likely do you think you're going to get uh, how likely are you to be injured doing um, a variety of kind of resistance training movements so say like machine-based weights barbell you know back squat deadlift olympic lifting kind of thing and trying to see um, what people what yeah, people's perception of um, risk doing resistance training is because we kind of know from research that resistance training is actually really safe and it's a really great way to prevent injury in sport. Um, but from kind of personal experience, but also like my supervisor's experience in practice is that a lot of people are, have this, you know, they're really fearful of getting um, injured doing resistance training so they don't do it, even though it actually probably make them less likely to get injured. So, yeah, looking into that and seeing what people's thoughts around that are. Dahlia. Yeah. Yeah, Ethan did a really great um, presentation the other week on his internship, so I'm very excited to see where it goes for him. It sounds very interesting. I'm working with Mandy Hagstrom on her project looking at the influence of the gender of senior researcher, senior researchers' influence on research design and practice in the field of sports science and exercise medicine um, because currently... There's been a few systematic reviews of the literature in our field and less than 40% of the total participants in all of the studies are female. Also, less than 19% of the senior authors are female. So there's a definitely like a prevalent sex bias already known. And so we're just kind of exploring it more and seeing if research design and how research is conducted and who conducts it has an influence on that. That's awesome. Those are two really cool topics. And shout out to uh, Anurag Pandit, who just put out a awesome, I think it was an audit of the guidelines, which showed those statistics you were just talking about, which is really cool. Yeah. So with all of it, what's the biggest challenge you guys have faced? Because you've got two kind of different topics there. One's more um injury pain related and belief and then one's looking at gender or i should say sex biases right so ethan tell me the first thing you ran into that was the biggest challenge for you um i think probably because we're actually just designing it's like i've never been part of designing a study before we've kind of d done papers that are like a literature review where there's a topic and we have to you know do a search of you know academic databases and find out kind of what in general is said about that topic which is kind of a, a like kind of systematic meta reviews in, in a sense. It's not, yeah, it's not original research. It's synthesizing other research that's already been done. But doing like a new study just has a whole other host of things you have to do, like all this kind of ethics um, applications and outlining what you're going to do. And often they'll reject it and say you have to change this and that. And I was admit, uh, my supervisor, Mitch, he did a lot of that. But just kind of being part of that, on the side of that process and seeing like it's not there's a lot of red tape around research um, and a lot of stuff that would be probably really helpful to get done probably doesn't get done just because of how there's just a lot of hoops to jump through, which I guess, you know, you want to make sure research is ethical and it's safe, um, you know, but at the same time, like, yeah, there is, there is a cost of that uh, for sure in terms of what you actually get done and, and then what meaningful results you get. Um, and so just kind of moving on with that, like being part of a study, recruiting, recruiting people to do the survey, this is a new thing for me, just like, you know, just randomly emailing people saying, yeah, I'm doing this study, you know, do you want to, would you mind sharing this uh, link with people? And it's pretty easy because it's just like a 15 minute survey for people to complete, but it's just something new um, that I've, that I've come across. And, you know, those kind of intricacies around actually designing study and, you know, how to get it through and, and, and see, uh, yeah, actually, uh, yeah, actually just do it practically. I've been, that's kind of the challenges and things I didn't really think about when I started the project. Yeah, conception of a project and a research question. It's probably the most difficult bit that I've come across in research as well. But before I say anything more, Dahlia, tell me your challenges. 
I think, luckily for me, I've been on a really strong, awesome research team. So it's been really good and inspiring for me to watch the people who are on this team that I'm working on just do their thing. So I think even though they face challenges, they don't really make it out like that. Like, yeah, they don't have access to this paper because it's behind like five paywalls. It's fine. They figure it out. Like it's not, I can see that for myself. That would be a challenge in the future. But I think watching them work and overcome, like work together and communicate, oh, who has access, whatever, that has been really, it's made it less challenging, like to a perceived smaller barrier. Um, I think something that I've definitely had like a learning curve in terms of doing the internship is knowing that I don't know anything. So it's like hearing, reading research that's out there and also hearing people talk about their experience and about research that they've done and they're just me being like, I have so much to learn. And I kind of think it does go back to what we were speaking about before about what could be different about the course. I think like, again, I've loved this whole research process and I wish I was exposed to it slightly earlier on just because it probably would have changed my trajectory of where I at least thought I was going. Yeah. That's really interesting to hear. So do you feel like if you had done more research earlier in the degree that you would have been more interested in it? I think so. I think Mm -hmm. it would have helped me be, I really like the research side because, and I think part of the reason why I want to keep it kind of within my pathway is just the communication of research. Like I really enjoy reading the research myself. I know that a lot of people don't like reading research. So if I can be like a medium of communicating that to other people, that sounds awesome. That's like the best of both worlds for me. So I think if that was part of my vision earlier on, then that would have just been really inspiring and motivating for me. Yeah, awesome. I feel like I I resonate a lot with that where you learn. I mean, this podcast is called Research to Practice, right? And I think when we learn about practice, especially for us at like the end of our degree, that's when the we've got the clinical side, we've got our placements, and then we've got the research side and we're kind of like how do we bring these two worlds together? And you see the need for it a lot more. Um, so, yeah, awesome. Anyone else have any more thoughts? Nope. So, oh, yes, Dahlia. Um, I haven't started this yet, but I, it's a perceived challenge that I feel that will come up for me. Another study that I'm going to be working on is about females and their accuracy to predict their proximity to failure in resistance training across different stages of their menstrual cycle and looking at the influence of their symptomology and their physiology and how that affects that. I think running a study, so I will be a part of that process, but running that study will be quite challenging in terms of the time commitments that we need from the participants and from the researchers. I think it's definitely won't be like a nine to five situation. So that will be something that we will have to juggle and balance. Yeah, it's it's crazy to see what actually goes on behind research and what we're asking from participants. And you realize so much more. And I know it's made me a lot more passionate to tell people hey, these are the things we need to consider in research and these are the way things are, like similar to what you said, Ethan, like we've got constraints and that might mean that it changes the way that we can actually run the study. So, yeah. Hope I was just going to quickly add to that, like for, I've actually participated in one or two studies and I've been asked to participate in some studies because I have this like rare sleep condition called narcolepsy. Anyway, but just like some of the, the study, they're just asking for like a really – they're asking for a lot from the participant. Um, and some studies, when it's like a drug company that's doing it, they'll maybe reimburse you. So that kind of like, you know, it entices you to do it. But when you're a busy person and you've got to go in for this initial screening and then you've got to do all these follow-ups, like you can see why a lot of people just end up dropping out. And yeah, yeah, it's just a real challenge. It's not really simply um, answered, but it definitely is, is a challenge. Yeah, yeah awesome. Um, Andrew, did you want to go or...? No, that's can pretty good. Can we move on? Yeah, we can move on. 
So I feel like um, I want to ask one last question and it's bringing it back towards the clinical side. And I know I've listened to a lot of podcasts and, you know, being involved in a job interview process and all those sorts of things. I hear a lot about what businesses want from students and look for in students. And I kind of want to flip that around and ask you guys what you're looking for in businesses. Um, so some good things that you're looking for and then some things that you would like to stay away from. And either of you can go first. I think Ethan's a bit more thinking. Dahlia, you look more ready. Um, so I think for me, like green flags, I wouldn't even say it's directly to who, like a business. I think just in general, people who I want to gravitate towards spending my time with, you know, and if I'm going to work for them even more so. But things that really stand out to me are being open to change and having just open to new ideas. They don't have to take them on or like, you know, implement them, but listening and open to the idea that something else could be an option and being able to communicate and have a conversation about that, I think is quite important. Um, And also someone who can learn with me. So doesn't just say you're the new one, the student, like whatever you do, everything, go and do your homework. Someone who can kind of facilitate it. They don't have to teach me, but just kind of embrace the learning progress as I believe that's something that you kind of should be doing throughout your whole career. Like it shouldn't just stop as soon as you become the boss or say. Um, in terms of things that I don't want, I actually couldn't think of anything. I would say it's not a red flag, but it's an orange flag. I would say someone who is quite stuck in their ways or their beliefs, say they have a very biomedical approach to their practice. I think it's not a red flag for me, but it's something that I would be quite mindful of. And it would, and if they have that belief and they're not willing to talk about it and not change, but just open to conversations that could be different, I think that would be quite challenging for me and I probably would try not to put myself into that workplace. So you've got the kind of personality thing, so people that you get along with that you like. Yep. And then you've got the um, that they're willing to learn with you and kind of treat you as a bit more of an equal as yeah. well. Yeah, like, I think like I think I don't even know if treat me as an equal is exactly – because I think the big things would be open to change and new ideas, not necessarily them changing themselves, but just open to having conversations about new ideas. And then I think being able to communicate with someone about what I'm going through in, in a work context, in an appropriate, you know, work context, that, and also then someone who can learn with me or facilitate learning within the workplace yeah I hope that helped clarify (laughs) yeah yeah and then the orange flag for you is someone that doesn't really want to learn and probably won't facilitate that learning yes like literally just the opposite yeah (laughs) it's just like if someone isn't those things I probably wouldn't want to work for them um the hard thing is is probably like Probably someone who is those things won't know that they are those things. (laughs) So then, you know, then you kind of, you have to kind of get in that workplace and kind of figure it out for yourself. Yeah, that's actually something I was going to ask. How do you even find out about these personalities when you're signing up? Yeah. That's like sometimes trial and error. Yeah, totally. And I think it's like a whole cycle. And I think it's something that probably in life happens more so than just in the workplace um usually people aren't like aware of their flaws and so they're not going to introduce themselves and go like okay these are the things that I'm working through because if you know like it's just a self-fulfilling cycle so I think it is trial and error definitely some things I would say there would be like network so try and talk to them on LinkedIn have a coffee with someone try and see if they're willing for you to like shadow them um or the best way is yeah grow your own network of physios allied health professionals and you'll most likely find someone through other people so you can hear hey what's this person like as 
you know, a practitioner? How do they run their business? And when you've got that community to ask, it helps a lot. Not everyone has that. And you might find somewhere that, yeah, you're just going to have to go in the trial and error and see how you go. Ethan. Um, yeah, I think, I think the main thing, like what I'm thinking about where I want to work is I want somewhere that has a lot of opportunity for me to learn and grow. And that doesn't doesn't necessarily mean I have to agree with everyone there. It probably means I don't agree with everyone there because I feel like I actually learn a lot, you know, learn a lot from different perspectives and to go into it thinking that everything that you know is right is pretty naive and, and ignorant as well. And, you know, just growing as a person, learning how to deal with people that are different to you is, is helpful. Obviously, if it's too much, like that might not be the place to be. But I, I'd like to go to somewhere where there's maybe more than one or two clinicians. Um, firstly, just so I can learn from them and and see how they operate, see how they do things. You know, if I, if I go somewhere where I'm doing a lot of work by myself or like, and I'm just a new, I'm just a new, like I'll learn stuff, but, you know, you won't necessarily have that as much opportunity for feedback or, you know, people to ask questions to or um, that kind of thing. Yeah, somewhere that I could feel like I can learn and grow and people that like don't beat around the bush, like, you know, if someone has a different opinion to me and they are able to voice that and but they are also happy to hear my opinion, I respect that. You know, I don't, I don't take any offense to that and I really appreciate honesty around, you know, people's thoughts and attitudes and, and it, the ability to be able to have a disagreement but then still move on and work together and, and that doesn't, you know, we don't hate each other or anything. Like it's just, you know, we disagree about this thing but that's okay. Um, I really appreciate that. People that kind of hold grudges around that or think, oh, like you're different to me or you just can't work here or that kind of thing, that that would be definite, a definite red flag for me. Yeah, and, and I... um. Yeah. Other other red flags, I think, like, uh, maybe not necessarily a red flag again, but, like, I don't know, just for, for me personally, I feel like with a, in a private practice setting, maybe uh, trying to, like, push clients, you know, to keep g- going to exercise physiology sessions with you, uh, knowing where, like, yes, it, you know, yes, it would be good for someone to go at, see a professional twice a week, every week, and do exercise consistently. Like, no, that's great. If you can afford that, you know, go for your life. That's fantastic. But... I want to feel that I can be honest with someone to say, look, I actually think it's probably you've made a lot of great progress. May I don't think it might be not worth you know paying for your buck. Continuing with me, with me, I think I've given you a lot of good skills. I think you've grown a lot. You know, here's some. I want to be able to have be able to be honest and say, here's something I think you could do, or just go on with this, and you know, not feel like I'm having to from a business perspective try and retain clients just to make money or keep them in the company. Like, yeah, so that, that that's something for me that. Yeah, but another thing as well, as you guys are saying, like I've, I've been out of some good conversations with like back supervisors, just asking them, like, oh, what's your business like? What's your, what's your, th- what do you think about this and that? And 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 I've I've actually been pleasantly like, I've been encouraged to know that people are pretty, they're pretty happy to be honest and just have a chat about it, talk through it, and they probably haven't been asked those. That's probably not the first time they've been asked that those questions if they are running a business. And so yeah, yeah, I, I think um, yeah, that's been really really good. Yeah, I think Ethan very well articulated. Thank you. I I agree with a lot of what you said. (laughs) Definitely. Well, they're all the questions that we had for you guys today. Uh, Thank you so much for your perspectives. Like, honestly, the way that you've described your journeys, what you've learned so far, your placement experiences and what you want out of businesses and your career is just awesome and super reflective as well. So, yeah, if there's anything else you guys would like to add, please go for it. I think for me, it's interesting. A lot of the questions that sent through, I think, were geared to be like, what was wrong? Like, uh, what could it be better? What could I learn more? What could be different? Whereas I actually had a, like a really, really positive exercise physiology experience. I think that like, I didn't mention this earlier, but I was doing engineering beforehand so then for me, switching to exercise physiology, where it's a much more practical course, it's much more intuitive to my own brain. I was like the whole time I was just appreciating literally every class and subject. So that made me really enjoy the process. And I think COVID, yes, we didn't have in-person classes for some of it. But at the time I was like, this is great. Like, I don't mind. So it was it was interesting to try and reframe it to think, what could have been different because I was actually quite fulfilled by it. That's so awesome to hear because me and Anne yeah. are so used to hearing tragic stories. 
If only you could just bottle that positive attitude, Dahlia, and just give it out to people. Yeah. Yeah. It's so awesome. Yeah, Yeah, it's Um, interesting. I think, like, a little bit of my negative experience, not negative, it's like biased negative look towards the uni was influenced by other clinicians already in practice and other people that didn't get the degree that we did. I think especially, yes, Andrew. <laughs> oh, no, go, go. I was going to say, this is the new age baby, all right? So yeah, it's like, different. Our degree was really good compar- comparatively to other people's. Even, like, at other unis, I'm still hearing that they're doing some outdated stuff, and I'm like, not, not at UNSW. We got communication. We got an awesome MSK. We learned about pain science, like, all of that, even the special population subject I found amazing. They talked about, yeah, mental health. They talked about pediatric population. And just I found it very focused on what are their goals? What do they want to do? You need to communicate with them and collaborate with them. And that was awesome. I kind of wish there was more of that. Um, And I'm just not sure what other people got at their unis. And I, yeah, doubt it was like that. Totally. And I only have faith in the conveners and the lecturers and the people who are creating this new program, like all the new courses that are coming out. I'm just like, this is going to be great. It would have been cool if I had more, but like, I think for everyone else's to come, like it's going to be only get better for them. They're in good hands. Sick. I love all this. This is great. Yeah. I'm going to give all this feedback back to them, you know. <laughs> I also feel like one of the things that I do want to point out is you both are very like reflective and kind of I think know yourselves is what I'm gathering from this and Dahlia you've had that experience in um, personal training as well so I think out of a lot of the other people in the year group I can see that there would be very different experiences like some people might need more support some people might need like other things um yeah but I, I mean, I feel like with a degree, though, like you only get out of it what you, you put into it as well. And like, yeah. you know, you know, you, with as with any course, you have people just trying to get, trying to pass subjects, not watching yeah. or doing any of the content and not actually engaging classes. And so it's obviously not going to be the greatest experience. Like, um, yeah, because there's like, a, there's a good, there definitely is a lot of opportunity to, to learn all the courses. There's definitely things that could be improved. But I think like if you actually act, if you actively want to learn something or seek something out, you know any tutor or lecturer is going to be happy to have a chat with you happy to point you in the right direction um it's really just up it's kind of up to you if if you want to you know put in that little bit of extra effort or um actually investigate that thing a little bit more yeah yeah the only thing I would add to that is like I know for myself at least is knowing that that's an option like yes you can reach out yes people want you to ask questions I think Yes, definitely take in charge of your um, of your education and at the same time you're allowed to. You're paying them for this. Use these resources. Mm-hmm. I think at times I was just like, oh, my God, they're a lecturer. They're so high on this, like, fake ladder I've put <laughs> in my head. And so I often would go, like, don't not say anything or go to other resources. So, mm-hmm. yeah take up those resources that you have while you have them. Yeah. Yeah, I reckon that's an adjustment from school to university. Because, like, at school, you have someone on your back if you don't submit your homework or submit assignments. Like, you get handheld a bit and there'll be a lot of support. There's some support systems there if you are kind of falling through the gaps a bit or you're struggling in class or you're struggling to grasp, grasp something. And those will be kind of like they're a bit more on the front foot with that. They'll be like, hey, you know, I think we, you need to make sure help or whatever it is. But at uni, it's kind of like if you're falling behind and you don't submit anything, no one's going to reach out. There is support if you want it, but it's still up to you to seek it out. No one's going to be like, hey, you know, what's going on? So that can be a bit of a, definitely a bit of an adjustment and something it's like, yeah, it's, it's not it's not always easy to when you're left, a bit left in the dark, you don't know really what too much was going on and you're not really sure the avenues. Maybe that could be something that's better, made a bit more um, clear for people in terms of like having use of of yeah getting support and stuff through the course yeah okay i think we should end it there because otherwise i will keep talking forever 
because this always happens between me and him. We say goodbye and then we talk for half an hour more, like all the fucking time. So <laughs> I will we let you... you guys, definitely. You can say that. Yeah. I mean, between you guys. <laughs> it's so bad. Yeah. 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 I mean, I could keep I could keep talking for a while, but I'll, uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't think everyone wants to hear that. But thanks for having us. It's been really good to have a chat and just yeah, reflect on the course and and you know the profession. It's been it's been really interesting. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. I felt like it was a great opportunity to like be really introspective on what I've learned and what I haven't learned and how much room I have to grow and kind of where I'm going. So it was really nice, really nice, and nice to chat with you guys as well. Yeah, awesome. If you guys are open to people reaching out to you, where could they reach you? You can find me on Instagram at Dahlia Rain. Yeah, that's my best place of contact at the moment. Yeah, awesome. Well, I'm a bit elusive. I'm not like I'm not that easy to, to contact. Your email. I'm not going to give around my phone number, but yeah, you can contact me on my on my email. Ethan.grimman at gmail.com if you're, if you're really keen to have a chat with me. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. I'll definitely reply. Yeah. yeah. And we can put those in the show notes as well. I'm sure that some students would love to reach out to you or even some business owners who enjoyed this chat. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys, and hope we have you on again, maybe next year. <laughs> Reflect again. Yeah, a year later. Keep growing. That's perfect. Awesome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Research to Practice What Do. You can find all relevant episode information in the caption and find us on Instagram at research, the number two, practice, underscore podcast, as well as on our personal pages at mwalker, underscore xviz, and at andrewxviz. And with that, we encourage you to remember that research means you don't know, but you're willing to find out.